Welcome to the 221st episode of the Young Terps podcast. Mason Viner joined by Jack Rothenberg. And Jack, um, what we thought could be a great night in College Park, well, went sideways. UCLA dominates Maryland 87-60. to 60. Yeah, what well, quickly was a whiteout, full crowd, really within the first five minutes was was a big disappointment for Maryland. I think a lot of people were expecting coming off of those two two close losses against Wisconsin, Tennessee, maybe a bounce back game at home, maybe the crowd lift them up a little bit. But as we heard Willard say after the game, I think those two games were pretty mentally draining. They were also on the road. So I think that played a big factor. I think coming home, they just didn't have the emotional juice to, to get up for this game. And obviously that showed being blown out by 27 at home. Yeah, and it, it was ugly from start to finish for Maryland. Uh, they finished the game shooting as a team 40%, but at one point, I mean, for most of the game, that number was down below 30. Uh, they end up shooting 37% from three uh, as well. For most of the game, that number was below 10. And um, really failed to challenge a UCLA team that had struggled at times with competition that was, I guess, ranked at least at Maryland's level. Yeah, I think you mentioned a bunch of the stats that obviously don't seem that bad looking back on it. But in in the moment, I think it was really the first half that was kind of brutal for them. Obviously, they were down, I think, 29, somewhere around there at half. Yeah, it was 49, 20 at half, so 29. And all those percentages were way down in the second half when they kind of emptied the bench. And you saw like Ike Cornish and, and uh, a, lunch, a bunch of the other guys like Noah Bachelor get in the game. I think they... They got those numbers up, but the big the big factor to me was they had eleven turnovers at half. And I think Mason, you mentioned it to me. UCLA had seventeen points off those eleven turnovers going into halftime. And as we're talking about these stats, they ended the game with sixteen turnovers. They got better in the second half, but I think all the problems in the first half it was way too much to overcome, and they didn't come out with that intensity that you want to see them come out with every basically every night. Yeah, I mean, some of the stat lines from mid game that I have from like text messages are. UCLA at one point led Maryland, and this one didn't finish much differently than that. Steals uh, 10 to 1. Points in the paint, UCLA 32, Maryland 10. Uh, and that point, the field goal percentage, UCLA 30% up uh, on Maryland. So the final stats, I mean, the Terps end up out-rebounding UCLA, which I found to be odd. Um, but the Bruins, I mean, 13 steals on the game. Maryland turns the ball over 16 times in total. Uh, and we're just dominated even after foul trouble early for uh, Tiger Campbell. Yeah, I think when you look at UCLA, the two main factors that you're going to look at with namesake, they're going to be Hami Hawkes and Tiger Campbell. But even from the tip, they didn't really need to do too much. I think Tiger Campbell finished with under 10 points, and he wasn't really a big factor in this game. He had, he had nine points, but usually he's one of their main scorers. And but right from the jump, they just Maryland got got mauled and it wasn't even close and um one bright spot that I will mention for Maryland that I think was was good to see was Ian Martinez he was the leading scorer for Maryland uh he had he had 16 points um and I think going forward uh Kevin Willard said that he's going to get more minutes he's been practicing a lot better um interesting to to see whether they'll switch up the starting lineup a little bit I think Don Carey has struggled a little bit when he's not knocking down threes and making shots I don't really see much else that he provides for this team especially when he's when he's jacking shots and 
we when Maryland needs better offensive possessions, like you saw against UCLA, there wasn't a lot of passing, wasn't a lot of cutting, it was quick shots, specifically quick threes. And Don Carey shot a couple of those. I think if he's not really knocking down shots, he's not providing that much for the offense or for the team in general. So I'd maybe look at at starting Martinez or bringing him off the bench a lot earlier, especially for Don Carey. Yeah, I think that Jackie hit the nail on the head. When the game got ugly, Maryland um, didn't really do anything to, I think, adjust well to it. Uh, Jameer Young was jacking up shots from all over the place. Don Carey was doing the same. Hakeem Hart, Donta Scott, all the guys who looked to to make a big shot uh, when things were going sideways. You know, timeouts, the score, uh, I think it was 7-3, to 19-5. It just got uglier and uglier and uglier from that point. And instead of getting into any sort of sets or anything like that, when Maryland had, you know, a couple feet from three, they jacked it up. And while Kevin Willard likes to play that way, at some point you have to stop the bleeding and say we're going to use, you know, the time we have on the shot clock just to slow the game down a little bit. The Terps didn't do that. And, you know, credit to UCLA when they got out into space, um, their guys just knocked down the big shots. David Singleton being like, I think the main guy that had it seven for 10, four for five from three, 18 points. They just didn't miss in a big moment in this game. Yeah, definitely. I think you mentioned Kevin Willard burned three timeouts in that first half, trying to halt runs from UCLA. And I don't think one of those timeouts worked. I'm pretty sure in all three, if not two of the three, he caught a timeout and right out of the timeout, Maryland turned over the ball. On, on a live ball turnover leading to easy layups for UCLA. So I think that was also a big factor. Something I, I wanted to point out that I was looking for going into this game, you see Hami Hawkes and Dante Scott. I think they're two pretty similar body builds and types of players. They like to back down guys, get easy baskets. I was looking for Dante Scott to play a similar game, backing down Hami Hawkes, trying to get some fallaway jumpers easy in the lane baskets. And I didn't really see that that much. As we're talking about, they were shooting a lot of threes, which I didn't love to see. But you saw Hami Hakez. He, like I was talking about, didn't really need to dominate in this game based off the score. But he still had 14 points. But the way he plays, I really like that. And I want to see Dante Scott kind of move forward in that similar role. Yeah, I mean, you look at just what he brings to the table, and he's clearly the leader of that basketball team. And right now, you know, in moments like that, they're going to count on Hakez. I, I don't. I mean, Jameer Young's been that guy for Maryland, but he didn't step up in that way. When he had an off night, which I mean, the stat line is horrendous from Jameer Young in this game, Maryland didn't have anything in the tank. I mean, they played brutal schedule coming into this game, and it doesn't really excuse the performance, but UCLA just had it clicking, and it felt like Maryland um, needed a fast start. They needed something to pick them up quickly, get the crowd involved in the game, and get going, and it just didn't come. And UCLA knew that they punched Maryland in the face early. There was a good chance that it, it was going to be a knockout punch in this game. And the Terps just lacked the guy that was going to settle the game down and, and find it. And that's a player that an experienced team has made now back-to-back -back deep runs into March, the Final Four two years ago, Sweet 16 last year, and has carryover players from that. They have a little bit more of that that um winning experience that right now this Maryland team just she's just not there yeah and to make matters worse Julian Reese didn't play the entire second half due to a shoulder injury after the game Willard said that the training staff held him out for precautionary reasons and due to the score 
Uh, Willard didn't see a reason to put him back in. Uh, Maryland, two games coming up. They'll play at home against St. Peter's and UMBC before opening Big Ten play to start the new year. Mason, are you worried about this team at all? Maybe without Julian Reese, hopefully he'll be back against St. Peter's. Are you worried about them at all? Three straight losses going to these should-be tune-up games. No, Jack, uh, I'm not, but I wouldn't exactly be uh, pressed to bet the Terps this week uh, on DraftKings against St. Peter's or UMBC. And, well, that takes us to let's talk about DraftKings. One of America's top-rated sportsbook apps is officially live in Maryland and Virginia. Now you can bet legally on all of your favorite sports with DraftKings anytime anywhere right here in Maryland or in Virginia if you live across the Potomac for a limited time we have an offer for new customers with our promo code young terps if you bet five dollars you'll receive two hundred dollars in free bets instantly uh, I've been playing on DraftKings over the past two couple of weeks since it came out here in Maryland and I'm excited for the NFL slate coming up on Christmas weekend download DraftKings Sportsbook now and again, with our promo code YOUNGTERPS, you will receive $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on anything. Only at DraftKings with our code YOUNGTERPS. It really helps us out if you sign up with our promo code. Please play responsibly for help. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available if you are 21 years or older and physically present in Maryland or Virginia. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonuses are issued as free bets. See DraftKings.com slash MD for full terms and conditions. A, a little bit, I will say, Jack, going into St. Peter's, uh, I think that, you know, again, a team that's going to be looking to make a statement after the big run last year to the Elite Eight. Um, but again, a team that Kevin Willard's going to know well, uh, given that his good friend Sheehan Holloway was there. And, you know, they've kind of continued that New Jersey lineage that they have at St. Peter's. With the current staff, there's a lot of connections between the two. So I think Willard's going to have his guys amped up to play in that game. Uh, and then UMBC is a team that can get up and down, can really shoot the basketball from the outside. That's kind of continued uh, Coach Ryan Odom's philosophy, even though he's now moved on to Utah State. So the UMBC game, I think, is more of a concern for Maryland because if you turn in a shooting performance like the one um, that you had on Wednesday night and – you play a team in UMBC, if you look at a stat line that's absolutely out of this world, look at UMBC's shooting percentage against Coppin State from earlier this year where they scored 60 points in the first half of the game, uh, you can be in trouble. That's a team that can beat anybody if they shoot the basketball like that. Again, they're playing out of the world, out of this world that night. But again, two teams are going to be looking to make a statement against you. There's always something to be afraid of when you're playing this way. If Maryland shoots the ball 21 for 52 and 10 for 27 from three, there's a chance that any team can beat them. That's the big concern. Uh, last point on what you mentioned is Julian Reese right now is really struggling. He's not a true five. Maryland would be better off in some ways with a guy like DeMonte Dodd in there that honestly knew his role, that would go in there and give Maryland four fouls and four points, but they were timely. All of them were timely. Uh, Julian Reese is really a power forward that's being thrown into being the only center on a roster. I know everybody... Uh, and their mother kind of pointed that one out going into this season. But it didn't show against some of the ACC teams and against St. Louis. Well, it's starting to show now that you've played 10 games and there's 10 games worth of film on you. Right. I think in the first eight games when they looked incredible, I think people kind of overlooked that fact that Julian Reese was going to be undersized moving into these bigger games. And people kind of overlooked it. But now it's coming into light. And I think 
is going to be a big problem for Maryland moving forward. But I think for Kevin Willard, until he gets his full recruiting class, his full guys, you can't really blame anybody for this situation. I think uh, they're just going to have to deal with it and move forward and and, uh, scheme up different ways to defend guys in the Big Ten. And I think one big problem for Maryland, no matter who's on the floor, it's it, they have to get out to fast starts, especially in these upcoming games when they're playing uh, UMBC and St. Peter's. If they're not scoring points early, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, an ugly matchup. And I think playing these worst teams, if you can get out to a, a big start, go up 10, 20 points early, I think that puts the team away and they, they can kind of move forward and kind of get past those teams. But in the past three games, I think it's been less than 10 points in the first 10 minutes of the first half, which isn't going to cut it against these high-level programs. And you've seen that against Wisconsin, Tennessee, and UCLA. So I think moving forward, even in Big Ten play, moving past these these next couple games they have, they have to get out to fast starts, and that's going to keep them in games and keep them in high-level competition. Well, what it also allows you to do when you're playing high-scoring basketball is rotate a guy like Pat Emelian into the game and have them be effective when you're playing slow grinded out teams are six six backup center uh while he's probably one of my favorite players if not my favorite player on the roster isn't really able to cut it the other thing that you have to look at is you mentioned it earlier guys like don carey um julian reese amelia like you have this list of right now offensive zeros and when you're trying to play five out you're trying to be effective um and getting to the basket and turning games into high scoring that really shouldn't be you can't have guys that don't score. Everybody has to produce on offense. And right now, if without that, I think that you're more or less seeing the team that was projected in the bottom half of that conference. When everybody's hitting their shots, um, I think we all saw a team that was getting predicted as a two seed that was ranked number 13 in the country that, again, had a shot against Tennessee, had a shot against Wisconsin, and finally just it never came around in this game. And you saw possibly what was looking like it could be the ugliest game in the history of the Xfinity Center. They ended up saving face with that, not losing by 30, um, but was awful close to the worst game in the history of uh, a basketball building that has not seen many bad teams, but certainly hasn't always seen great teams. Yeah, and last last thing I'll say on what they can change is, obviously we know what they can do on the defensive end with the press and and different schemes that Willard has. But I think specifically on the offensive end, we talked about not settling for threes and not settling for long shots, especially early in the shot clock. I think early in the games, they have to look for Jameer Young, Hakeem Hart, different guys to drive the paint, get easy baskets in the paint area, which will then open up kickouts for those three-point opportunities that we know that they love to shoot. And also, when they're playing great defense, getting out in transition is obviously going to be a key. You talked about not getting in these grinded-out games like you saw against Tennessee and Wisconsin. If they can get runouts, get easy baskets at the rim, but then also being able to get wide open three point shots, even though I don't think they've been able to hit them at as of a high rate as we would have liked uh, talking about those open three point shots. I think that's just an easy way to get points, stay in games, get out to early leads. Yeah, I think, Jack, again, those are the keys for almost every team, but especially this one with their lack of inside scoring presence. And one thing that I don't think we pointed out that you just did is you see them almost settling for while they're open, but settling for three point shots. They're not getting to the basket as hard as they were. And then, you know, passing the ball effectively out of that to get really rhythm threes going. Instead, it almost looks like they're playing more of that NBA up and down style where they'll take any shot that's open and 
Well, it's just not working right now, but a couple of tune-up games coming. Jack, I'll ask the question, my last question for you on this one, uh, the same one back to you. Concern against St. Peter's or UMBC? I'm not very concerned. I'd say on a 1-10 one to, one to scale, I'm at a 2. I think, I think they should be able to get through these two games. Like you said, I think UMBC poses the bigger threat than St. Peter's, um, but I think I think they'll be able to get through them. My main concern is when we play, when Maryland faces Michigan on the first. I think that's when we'll start to see who this team truly is um, getting into January, February. Yeah, and the Terps next game coming up on the 22nd. So a big, uh, well-earned break for Maryland. Uh, I think they're going to fall out of the rankings. If not, they'll be right at the end of the top 25 this coming week and back in action again, December 22nd. That's Thursday uh, at 6.30 on the Big Ten Network against St. Peter's. Then on the 29th uh, at 7 on ESPNU against UMBC. Uh, back here on the podcast next week, Todd will come back, update us on the non-revs, and Wayne will rotate back through the podcast as Maryland football gets ready for their bowl game coming up uh, against NC State and a ton of football recruiting action taking place over the past couple of weeks that we haven't covered because it's changing so fast, but we'll have that on the next episode of the Young Turfs podcast. Thanks, Jack, for hopping on, and as always, thanks for listening.